Welcome to Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He's Paul Latino. I'm Lance Meadow. Good to be with you for the next 60 minutes. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. You could also interact with the two of us on Twitter. Hashtag Giants Chat. We'll get into some Giants offseason news. Look ahead to the Pro Bowl. But we are going to start right off the top with the Senior Bowl. But first, a reminder, the Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes. So to the delight of the entire Giants staff... We sent John Schmelk as far away as humanly possible to Mobile, Alabama to cover the Senior Bowl. And now we bring him on the program to provide the latest. Though, John, we might as well start with the logistics here. We talked yesterday about Mother Nature, and it doesn't seem like Mother Nature is actually cooperating in Alabama for you and the rest of the media. Well, first things first, I, I heard your nice interaction with uh, Dave Dominic before the show, and I can't tell you, I've never been happier to be as far away from you as possible, too, Lance. Well, at so. least the feeling we're, is we're mutual. Yes. The He's throwing <laughs> daggers at everybody, John. <laughs> I'm not holding back. I'm an equal opportunist. What can I say? But, uh, yeah, look, it, it, it's pouring outside, and unfortunately for everybody here, and everyone's everyone's kind of disappointed, but, the, you know, based on the logistics, there's, there's really not much to be done, but the rain has forced them to move practice inside today, so both the South and North teams uh, which practice would happen early this afternoon uh, from like 12 to 5, give or take, uh, has been moved indoors to the South Alabama practice facility, which is a new facility. But as you guys well know, even from the Giants facility, which is a state-of-the-art indoor facility, there simply is not a lot of sideline room inside those indoor practice fields. So yeah. uh, there are no stands. So obviously there's no room for the media to come and cover it. The NFL Network isn't even going to be able to televise it live. They'll have a recap show tonight. Wow. And unfortunately no one is going to be able wow. to watch senior bowl practice except for a couple and not even like full scouting staff guys. We're talking two or three representatives from each team, I think are going to be allowed into this facility simply because of space. So uh, I was talking to Dane Brugler, who's been going to these things for almost 10 years, and he said this happened once at the East-West Shrine game. It's never happened at the Senior Bowl. So it, it, is a, it is a very unique situation down here in Mobile. John, are there any rumors or conversations about, hey, I know this is a rarity, but are there conversations that you're hearing down there that they might actually consider moving the Senior Bowl out of Mobile? I guess tradition says that that's where it belongs, and I'm sure the politics involved would be kind of sticky, but this isn't a great situation. Yeah, I mean, the Senior Bowl is a sole entity, right? I mean, it's not run by the NFL. Uh, it has its own executive director, and they're going to have the Senior Bowl here. So if the NFL wants to create an all-star game and put it somewhere else or something like that, they can. But I would be very surprised if the Senior Bowl voluntarily moved out of Mobile, which has been its home for, I mean, geez, like 50 years. So right. I, I don't see that happening, and I have not heard anything to that effect. But as you guys well know, missing practice is a big deal. That was one of the big reasons why the Giants don't practice up in Albany anymore, the lack of an indoor yeah. practice facility. Mm-hmm. So uh, people hate to miss practice. It is what it is, but we'll have to deal with it and move forward. But I agree with you. I think John brings up a good point. It's separate from the NFL, so they're not dictated to by the league. Therefore, they're enabled to make decisions and rules as they see fit. All right, so let's get into what you actually were able to take advantage of and see on Tuesday. And for those who may not be aware, John has a full practice report up right now on Giants.com, so you should certainly check that out. He details what he saw out of the North and South practice. Of course, we're going to break down some of that here. Let's start with the quarterbacks. John, we talked about that briefly yesterday, eight quarterbacks at the Senior Bowl. So who in particular jumped out to you from what you saw at practice? Honestly, the guy that looked the smoothest to me was uh, Jared Stidham, believe it or not. He plays for the South team, um, and he just does everything kind of well. Um, he, he was very accurate. His mechanics were smooth. His drop back was good. He's one of those guys that just looked very, very comfortable. He's 6'3", 215 pounds out of Auburn, projected to be kind of a middle-round, third-round, fourth-round pick uh, type of player. And he just looked very accurate. He could zip on his ball outside. Uh, I thought Will Greer was very erratic with his accuracy. I thought uh, he airmailed a few passes, just very inconsistent. Uh, Drew Locke showed off a really nice deep ball, which I think is one of the best things he does is throw the ball deep. Uh, But he did not show off the big cannon that I thought he would so far. I imagine that's going to come. Daniel Jones made some good throws. He did throw it behind a couple of receivers. But, you know, he's one of those guys you watch him, you're like, okay, this guy knows how to play quarterback. He's good. But nothing he does, you know, makes you go, wow, okay, whoa, wow, he's he, he just doesn't wow you, but he knows what he's doing. He's good fundamentally. And, and then the one guy that really draws a lot of attention simply because of his frame and his size 
and, and the way he looks out there is, is Tyree Jackson, who checked in at 6'7 and 249 pounds at the weigh-in out of Buffalo. I mean, he's a monster. But his mechanics and fundamentals are all over the place. And his accuracy was extremely inconsistent, which is the same thing you saw on the Buffalo tape. I watched one Buffalo game before I came out here. So I think he's a guy with tools that someone will draft because they'll get excited about the size and the arm and all that stuff. But uh, he's not mobile. He's very stiff out there, in my opinion, which I think probably has to do with, with, with his mechanical problems. He's not very smooth. And he's just very inaccurate at the football right now. John, aside from the quarterbacks who will always draw a lot of attention, it seemed to me, I, I had watched the NFL Network uh, coverage yesterday, uh, Montez Sweat, an edge rusher who you also wrote about in your notes, seemed to also be a real magnet for a lot of eyes. Well, yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's projected to be the highest player picked right now of the group out here at the Senior Bowl. And you look at him and you know why. Uh, he's 6'6", six, six, he's 260 pounds, He's 35-inch and 5'8 arms, and he's just very gifted athletically. Um, when he won yesterday, I'm sure you guys saw the viral clip of him running through <laughs> Alabama State, yeah. right tackle Titus Howard. And it's a shame because I thought Titus Howard actually did a pretty good job, and there were multiple reps where he actually got the best of Montez Sweat, but nobody posts those. So uh, I think Howard gets kind of a bad rap. I think he's actually shown he could be a day-two pick so far here Um at the Senior Bowl and, and be kind of a developmental tackle coming from a small school. But look, uh, Sweat is really good physically. He's got long arms, like I mentioned, but I, there's not a lot of pass rush variety. He doesn't do a lot of different things. Right now he's kind of a one-trick pony. He's really good at that one trick, but he's kind of a one-trick pony. Well, to me what's interesting about the Senior Bowl, speaking of the defensive side of the ball, this is an opportunity for some of the players from smaller programs to emerge. I think of Darius Leonard yeah. last year, John out of South mm -hmm. Carolina State, and then look, he went high in the second sure. round, and look at what he did for the Indianapolis Colts. And when you peruse the roster, they did a nice job, the staff of the Senior Bowl, in finding some of these unknown commodities. Is there anyone in particular, maybe that you haven't had a close glimpse of yet, but that you think is worth keeping close tabs on and watching that may be coming out of one of those smaller programs this year? Yeah, I, I think there, there are two pass rushers to watch, and, and frankly, neither guy impressed me yesterday. I thought they actually got handled pretty well by the South offensive tackles. Uh, Jalen Ferguson out of Louisiana Tech, who led the NCAA in sacks. Mm -hmm. uh, O'Shane Zimenez from Old Dominion, who, when you watch him on tape against some of those smaller schools, he looks like a dominant player. The problem is that, uh, and this is something Paul will appreciate, he's kind of light in the butt. He's only 6'4". I think he checked in around two, high 240s, low 250s mm -hmm. when he got measured yesterday. And he just didn't have any power in his pass rush moves. And, he, and, and it helped, and it got him stymied a little bit. I think he's more of one of those stand-up tweener rushers that, that Paul can't stand, but now fit with the Giants do in terms of their scheme. <laughs> i got to um, start liking him now, John. Did well. <laughs> um, Rocky Asin from Temple. I don't know if you consider that a small school, but it's not one of the power conferences. Right. Yeah. Um, he's probably the best cornerback here. He, he's funny. He was listed by Temple at 6'2". He measured here at 5'11". So you got to watch out for some of those measurements from the schools. He had long arms, though. That's the, the Charles Barkley measurement which, which, which school of thought, yes. Yeah, that, that's, that's yeah, off by a lot. Yeah. That's, wow. that's, wow. Um, yeah, John, and, and, and by the way, there's one of the young guy, one of the small school guy I want to tell you who actually really did impress me. Um, Andy Isabella out of UMass, 5'10", 190. I talked to a couple people that have spoken to him, and he thinks when he runs the 40 at the Combine, he says if he doesn't run a sub 4'4", he'll be disappointed. He's mm. extremely quick. He got a lot of separation. And I was really impressed. And uh, John Kaminsky's one other one out of Charleston, by the way, a defensive lineman who showed a little bit during one-on-one. -on -one. So, as always, there are a good amount of um, small school guys. And, Paul, actually, one guy you should keep an eye on that got called up last minute from the East-West Shrine game, yep. I thought might have been the best defensive tackle here so far, Dalen Mack yep. out of Texas A&M. He's not a small school guy, but he's 6'1", he's 320. He literally got leverage on some of these offensive guards and marched them into the quarterback's lap during one-on-ones. He showed a lot of power. He was very impressive in practice. Yesterday. I thought he was one of the best three defensive players in the Shrine game. I, I enjoyed watching him play, and I think he definitely can play in the NFL. There's no doubt in my mind about yeah, that. Yeah, power guy. Yeah. Sure. Hey, John, let me, let me ask you this. A lot of people have said to me, and I've never been to the Senior Bowl, okay? I've been to the Combine, as you know, but I've never been to the Senior Bowl. People have asked me, do teams get a chance to interview these guys kind of like a pre-combined visit. Do, do you know what the logistics are in terms of teams getting the up-close and personal perspective? 
Yeah, absolutely. There are interviews every night between like 8 and 11, uh, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. And I, I'm not sure if they're doing Thursday night too. But, yeah, teams are meeting. And I think these meetings are actually, uh, funny enough, they're actually more fulfilling and they get more out of it than they do the meetings at the Combine. Because these guys have not been coached up quite as much yet by their agents <laughs> when they talk here. And you can get them a little bit more candid before they, you know, get coached up by the agents and they learn exactly what they're supposed to say. So uh, talking to Dave Gettleman before we left, he said that is one of the most important things that you do at the Senior Bowl is to talk to these guys and, and get to know them a little bit. Well, speaking of the layout of the land, I, I noticed one of the things you also wrote about in your report is the pace of practice for Gruden versus Kyle Shanahan's practice. And, you know, for those who are not familiar, it's the mm -hmm. Niners and the Raiders coaching staff sure. that are in charge of these two teams. And I always find it interesting, John, you know, how they interact with the coaching staffs and the pace of the practices. What was the noticeable difference, if any, between both of the practices? Yeah, it's funny. John Gruden runs a weird practice. Um, the drills that I've never seen before that are odd, there are uh, just just weird stuff. And, and, Paul, you can appreciate this. The first team portion of practice they did yeah. was nine-on-seven short yardage run game. Whoa. And these kids were knocking the you-know-what out of each other. And I was very surprised that was the first thing that they did in practice because you don't even see that very much in NFL training camps. No, anymore, to be quite no honest you, with you're you. right. You don't. And, they were out there, and they were beating each other up. It was, it was surprising, but it was fun to watch. Wow. Well, you, you know what's funny, John? And, and like you said, it's not the NFL that runs the Senior Bowl. The Senior Bowl committee runs the Senior Bowl. That's kind of curious, like what you just said, because you, you have to wonder about their methodology or their regulations in terms of what they're telling these NFL coaches who probably want to do NFL-type things, yeah. and they're being told maybe by the committee, well, I don't know. You've got guidelines. I, I, I don't know if that applies in that case, but as you said, that's a drill you don't even see a lot in July and August. Well, you know, I'll tell you, I don't think the senior bowls tell these coaches one iota how to run their practice. I okay. think they're allowed to do whatever they want. Remember, the guy who runs the senior bowl now is Jim Nagy, who was a scout for the Seahawks right. for a long time. Right. And I think he understands the value of asking these kids to do NFL-style things and see how they react to it. So I don't think the Senior Bowl puts any limitations on what these coaches can, can do with these kids, other than, of course, player safety, which, which obviously sure. is not something any of these coaches are going to put um, in jeopardy. Yeah, and even before Jim Nagy, John, you had Phil Savage, who also has ties right. to the National Football Long League time. in Cleveland. So, I mean, it makes sense that the individuals running this have NFL experience because they understand what scouts and GMs okay. and executives want to see. But by the same token, they also understand the value of being able to watch those practices and not being able to watch them when they're moved inside because of the rain. Well, of course. But then again, we're discussing Mother Nature, which is completely out of control of yes, the organizers is. and the NFL. But related to that, John, and you know, you alluded to this at the beginning when we were talking about the weather, one of the biggest benefits of the Senior Bowl is the exposure that these upperclassmen get on the practice field. So, I mean, how much perhaps does that come into play here? Yes, the game is important, but as you well know, it's the practices. And I'm not just talking about the GM seeing them. I'm also talking about the media exposure. So the fact that you're not going to have nearly as much media exposure, I mean, how does that perhaps impact what some of these players are going to be able to get out of this entire event? Yeah, and a lot of the media, quite frankly, is leaving tonight. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people don't stay through Thursday. Um, and, and frankly, our, like, there's not that many flights from at, at night out of Mobile, to be quite honest with you. So we're going to have to leave midway through the second practice tomorrow in, in, in order to make our flight. We don't have a choice. So, right. yeah, uh, I mean, it, it, it's unfortunate. You know, they actually practiced through rain yesterday. It sprinkled, it drizzled, and it was a little wet, and it was a little moist, it was nasty, it was chilly. But, guys, I'm looking outside. Uh, you know, this – even if they did practice on, on that field, it would have been a mud bowl by the end of it, and then tomorrow's practice would have been ruined. So yeah. no, no good would have, would have came out of being outside. So, yeah, I mean, look, it stinks. Um, I think it's good that the media will be able to report on two practices. You'll get NFL Network live coverage on two practices, or two days of practices, I should say. And I'm sure the NFL Network will uh, do a good job of talking about what happened at practice tonight at, at, at 8 o'clock when they do their Senior Bowl review. 
All right. Well, that is John Schmelk, who is live in Mobile, Alabama, from the Senior Bowl. John, we appreciate the insight. We'll definitely look ahead to Giants.com for your latest reports and uh, try to stay dry over the next few hours. We'll talk to you tomorrow, John. I can't believe I didn't get a question from Paul on the offensive lineman here. What's going on? <laughs> Paul, are you okay? <laughs> Uh, Seriously, Lance, Lance, is well, Paul okay? Is he feverish? He seems to be okay. Uh, no different than any other day. But okay, he, John. Right. Uh, a tremendous oversight. I'm going. I'm going. I'm going to. I'm going to overrule you, Lance. We're going to extend this by oh, another wow. minute. <laughs> We're going to extend this by another minute. Who's going to be my favorite hog, Molly? All right. Well, the guy with the attitude you're going to like is a guy named Dalton Risner, who I think I mentioned to you guys yesterday yeah, very briefly. You did. Um, he. He is a guy that played at Kansas State. He's 6'5", 300 pounds. Now, they put him at right tackle yesterday. That did not go very well. Um, he had a lot of issues. Frankly, the whole North offensive line had a lot of issues. Even the two kids from Wisconsin, who, Paul, I think you know, I mean, Wisconsin yes. offensive line, you expect them to be very solid fundamentally, right? You sure do. They were, getting, they were getting pushed around, like pushed around. So I was really disappointed with the North offensive line. But Risner... And, and I'm going to write a story on the offensive line today for Giants.com. He, what was his quote to me? He, his, he said that on the field, I want to knock you down, put your face in the dirt, and make you pay. But then when I get off the field, I want to help people in the community and be a nice guy. <laughs> it was very Will Hernandez-esque. But he did not show the Will Hernandez proficiency on the field that I would have liked to see. So he's someone I'd keep an eye on. He's also very versatile. They think his best position might actually be center. So I think he's going to play center at some point, either today in practice or tomorrow at practice. So he's one of those guys, Paul, that you like that can play a bunch of different positions, is versatile, and I think kind of fits that blue-collar mentality of past Giants offensive lines. I just need to see him play a little bit better. And the other guy I want to throw out there to you, too, I mentioned Titus Howard, the Alabama State offensive tackle. Um, boy, it is a monsoon outside, by the way. I'm looking out the window right now. It is bad. Um, Andre Dillard, the offensive tackle from Washington State. Yes, yes. He looked, he, he, he looked, he looked okay. Uh, he had some good reps. He had some bad reps. It, it, he's clear he needs a little bit more power, but he has pretty good feet. I was expecting a little bit more, to be quite honest with you, but uh, he was passable. Um, the best offensive lineman I probably saw and pulled this – I gotta be honest. This is not as good of a group as last year. But we had Isaiah Wynn here. We had Will Hernandez here. Sure. And there were a lot of you know really good prospects. I don't think it's quite as strong as a class because I think a lot of the good offensive linemen coming out this year are underclassmen. Mm-hmm. Center out of Mississippi State, Elgin Jenkins. He was probably the best offensive lineman I saw here yesterday. But we'll watch him the next couple of days. See how they do. When you mentioned those Wisconsin offensive linemen, John, one of the guys, Michael Dieter, was that one of the guys yeah. that you were observing? Because I've heard a lot of good things about him, but he didn't necessarily live up to your expectations early on, is what you're saying? No, you know what, Dieter, Dieter was actually a lot better, and I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of Bo Benchuol. Well, think that's is, why I left you to say that name. I, I, I chose the easy one. I left that one for you. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah, yeah, D- <laughs> honestly – it was Benchawal that had more of the issues. As okay. He was at right guard during practice, and he was getting beat up in one-on-ones. I'll, I'll be kind. And Dieter was better. He was better. But no one on that north offensive line I thought played particularly well yesterday. And it's funny because if you look at the defensive line, I think the south, de- the south defensive line actually has more names than the north team, but it was the north offensive line that struggled. So, uh, I worry about game day on Saturday when they have to deal with the likes of Montez Sweat, but we'll see if they can recover and do a little bit better in practice you, the next you, couple of days. You know, John, there was an offensive lineman that came out of the Shrine game, Udo, who was like a massive 340 or 350, who I believe, if I'm not mistaken, they said was going to get an invite to the Senior Bowl this week. Did he make it there? And what did you see of him? Because I, he is yeah. probably the biggest mountain on the, on either roster, is he not? Yeah, Oli Udo, 6'6", 365 out oh. of Elon. After dinner, yeah, he that's is, a he, presence. He, yes. he is a large man, and he, he actually went up against Sweat and Zimenez a couple times and Ferguson, and he did okay. He didn't look overmatched. He looked fine. Definitely not a left tackle. He doesn't move well enough for that. But, um, yeah, uh, he looked okay. He looked fine. 
Well, they were playing him at guard, as I recall, in the Shrine game. And, uh, you know, that's I, that's I a lot of beef. I saw him at tackle yesterday, to be honest with you. I think I saw him out there at tackle. Well, but I, 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 I think the, pro- the projection that, that I kind of saw was that he was not going to be athletic enough with the feet to play tackle in the NFL. But with that kind of size, you can put him on the inside and have him just clog and be one of those power tackles. I'm power guards, I mean. I'll tell you what, though, man. Six six guards are tough. You don't I know. Six, I six know. Guards. They're kind of tall, you know. Well, I I think they're just thinking that he's such a space eater in there that he can clog up yeah. a lot of stuff. But I I I agree with you. He's a curiosity to me more than he is a prospect. Anyway. And by the way, there is another there is another curiosity here, which I think is is one of the guys where you look at him and you're like, whoa, this guy does not look like a football player. And it was a tight end for one of the teams, and he looked like a basketball player. He checked in. I'm looking for the player on the roster right now. I don't remember his name offhand. Um, he was one of the small school guys. And he was just so tall and thin. And you looked at him and you're like, did you like, are you trying football for the first time? It looks like you should be playing power forward or small forward for your for your college basketball team. Wow. I'm going through the roster here. And was I, and it I Dax Raymond from Utah he, State? Utah State? Was that maybe yeah, that goal? might be him, and, and and he checked in at something like six eight and two hundred and twenty pounds. So he's one of those guys where you see him on the field and he stands out, but you wonder if he's somebody that that that's going to be able to kind of you know make his way in the NFL and do anything as a blocker as they move forward here. Yeah, yeah I'm looking through the roster. Oh, you know what, Donald Parham, six eight two forty out of Stetson. That's got to be the guy. Yeah, that's it. That's yeah. exactly him out of okay. section. And I think he actually checked in when they weighed him in at, at, at 220-something. I'm not even sure wow. he was 240 on the weigh-in. Well, those measurements, always accurate, as we well know, based on the roster and then what we see when they put on the underwear and all that good stuff. See, John, you brought up the yeah. offensive line, and we wound up getting three questions out of Paul and even a tight end reference. It's amazing. <laughs> you opened yeah, up and, and, Pandora's and now, box. And, and my understanding, Lance, is that you're listed on the official BBK roster at 5'7", right? Well, wow. that supposedly is the rumor that is being swirled. Yes. I think that's inflated <laughs> not, by quite a few inches, too. We're not too. going to uh, deny or confirm Another Charles reports. Barkley <laughs> measurement. Yes, a Charles Barkley. Yeah, Charles Barkley is being brought up a lot on this program. All right. All right, I think we've done enough measurements on this program as we move along. Let's, John, we will uh, speak to you moving forward thanks, as John. we continue to cover the Senior Bowl. Thanks again. All right, guys. Thank you. Right. Thanks. That is John Schmelk. Live from Mobile, Alabama. A reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes. So they're going to be kept inside today as a result of the rain. And listen, we talked about this yesterday, that they're going to send tapes to all 32 teams. So for anybody that's not on site, they'll be able to break it down. It's not really going to be much of any difference than breaking down film from the college season. Right. But... Unfortunately, these are the circumstances that they have to deal with right now in Alabama. You know, I, I we didn't ask John exactly how many. Uh, I know all the teams are represented, yeah. but I don't know how many total people we're talking about. But I can tell you from being down here with the Giants, uh, when they go inside to the field house, there really is not a ton of room on those sidelines. He's not kidding when he says, you know, it is a safety issue. I mean, because you got all these players on the field and you've got to worry about then not only the folks on the sideline, but a lot of them are carrying um, different things in their hands, notes, notebooks, clipboards, uh, stopwatches. So it's kind of like you're not exactly the most mobile and nimble bystander either. It's not like you're standing there with nothing in your hands. You see somebody come, and you can run away. You can just dive or whatever. It's dangerous for the players, but it's dangerous for the guys who are watching the practice too. Well, unless you do get – full seasonal training camp reps if you're here at the Giants facility when you've been exposed to those circumstances, Paul. See, that's what you're overlooking. You're overlooking maybe the individuals that have had clipboards in their I'm hands simply while saying I watch could, a training camp practice. I'll, I can just appreciate the situation. Okay. That's all I'm saying. Completely understandable. But I look at it more from – I know everybody's looking at it from the lens of – the front office, the executives. I'm also thinking about the players. You know, you're from a small program from Stetson, for example. This is your opportunity for tremendous exposure. And the fact that not nearly as much coverage as what's happened in previous years as a result of the right. I mean, that to me is the more unfortunate aspect. Well, if you think about this, 
The Combine's going to have between, what, 250 and 300-something players, okay? And the Senior Bowl has a fraction of that. Yeah. So there's a better chance if you are a small school prospect that you'll get noticed, that your name will be in the paper, your name will be on ESPN or NFL Network. you got a better chance to, to get yourself known here than you do at the Combine more of a reason why you don't want to miss out on televised practices. Because remember, who knows who's tuning in? And who knows who looks into what they see and says, hey, you know what? You know, if this guy doesn't get drafted or whatever, this is going to be our priority undrafted free agent that we want to bring. You never know when your name may come up in conversation because of a clip or something like that. So that, to me, I think is the biggest sacrifice as a result of the weather. But it's uh, the unfortunate side of doing business in an outdoor facility, and that is what is going on in Mobile, Alabama at the Senior Bowl. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. If you want to get involved in the conversation, feel free to give us a ring as well as hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. Now, that's not the only football going on this week. We know the Pro Bowl's going on in Orlando, the skills competitions, et cetera, et cetera. And I have to tell you something. I've been looking at Giants.com, and I've been going to the New York Giants Twitter feed. And, you know, folks, i got to tell you, it's overwhelming to see the fan support that some of these Giants are getting. Aldrich Rosas being absolutely mobbed by autograph hounds uh, and, and let's face it, outside of our area here, how many people do you think around the country really knew who Aldrich Rosas no. was before his name popped up on the Pro Bowl roster? Well, my guess is Giants fans that probably are in the Florida area are the ones that's that about it, right? Making up, yeah, that but, group. But but he he's getting mobbed. Of course, Saquon Barkley also. There's some some video of Saquon signing autographs and and, and certainly drawing a crowd too. Odell Beckham like kind of crowd. But Rosas getting just absolutely, uh, you know, mobbed with folks. And look, it couldn't happen to a nicer guy, because you know I will say this, and I don't think this is a stretch or a reach. Aldrich Rosas may be the most appreciative player at that Pro Bowl this year, considering from where he's come from. Well, I mean, I think I would add also Michael Thomas to the list, too. I mean, you saw his reaction on social media after he found out that he was going. Now, granted, he's a replacement as opposed to Rosas, who actually was allowed to go into yeah, the game see, as a starter. Michael so Thomas it's a different. had already carved out a respectable NFL career. He had accomplished Well, but never got something. an invite, though, in fairness. But nonetheless... You know, this is a guy who came out of Stanford and I'm sure planned to be an NFL player okay. and was able to take steps to make that dream happen. Aldrich Rosas, coming out of, you know, Nowheresville, you know, gets discovered as an undrafted school, rookie way, free yeah. agent. And, you know, even even after his rookie season, which did not go very well, and most people probably, you know, had him with a foot, if not two feet out the door, to now be a Pro Bowl guy, I don't know, to me... That's such a huge long shot, more so than Michael Thomas. Well, and and I'm look, I remember, and I haven't had a chance to talk to Michael Thomas since the vote came out, but I know when Rosas was talking about how he had gotten voted in to be a starter, he virtually had tears in his eyes. He was so overcome. He had trouble speaking. He was that emotional about, wow, you know, I can't even describe to you like where I've been and what I've come from to be here. This is just crazy. So I'm, I'm just really happy for the kid. That's well, all. I mean, it's quite a turnaround for him. You noted the ups and downs as a rookie. And I'm sure if you're Oldrick Rosas, given the turnover rate and the roster turnover in this league, you're saying to yourself, hey, you know, the Giants could be exploring other options, maybe a veteran, maybe another young guy. And they stuck with him. They brought in a new coaching staff. You know, Thomas McGahee, a new special teams coach. You did have Tom Quinn return. So, you know, that helped him as well. And, and for him to, you know, produce at the consistent level that he did. Remember, his one miss was in line. It just came up short. It, it wasn't as yeah. if he had one of those, oh, my God, what was going on here? You know, wide right or wide left. Mm-hmm. No, his one miss was in line, just didn't put enough mustard on it, as I like to say. And it would have been too easy to walk away from him after his rookie season really when you consider how many guys in this league don't get a second chance but he got one and I'm so glad for him I'm with you but you know what in fairness I would say the same thing when a team moves on from a coach after one season that's also ridiculous too yeah so you know we saw the Cardinals bingo that's exactly what I was going to bring up with Steve Wilkes so I mean I'm with you 
But in this league, I don't think anything is guaranteed that just because you have one year and it's up and down and you're a young player that you're guaranteed to come back the following year. And I think if anybody understands that, it's Ultrick Rosas, which is probably why he appreciates this more than perhaps the typical player because he didn't even know whether he was going to be on a roster this season. And for him to come so far, I, I think says an awful lot. Whereas, to your point, some other players who came in as high draft picks were big-time prospects. Maybe they're not looking at a Pro Bowl the same way. Now, that doesn't mean that a guy like Saquon Barkley doesn't appreciate the honor. But of course. I, I think maybe the end-all, be-all goal for Saquon Barkley wasn't, I want to make it to 10 Pro Bowls or whatever it may be. Well, let's not kid ourselves, okay? For Alter Grossas... This spotlight is about as bright as it can get for him. Will you consider he did not go to a power college program? Of course. You know, like I said, Michael Thomas played at Stanford. He played in a lot of big, important games in his college career before he even got to the NFL. Well, he did, but I would make the argument that Michael I mean, how Thomas— many, How many people you think even attended Rosas's college games? I didn't look at the attendance figures for his school, but— there weren't many people, I guarantee you, in the States. Well, how many people scouted his games? How about that? Yeah, well, That's even a enough. Question. I guess it only takes one. Well, apparently, <laughs> it does only take one. I, we got calls. Let's well, go. Well, we do. But one other point I wanted to make, because I, I think you hit on an interesting thing. I, I get it that Michael Thomas came out of a much more prominent program, but I think it And is, I'm happy for him, by the yeah, way. Don't no, misinterpret. No, I, I, I wasn't misinterpreting, Paul. I, I'm not trying to paint you as somebody who did not appreciate him and, right. and so forth. No, I, I would never try to manipulate how you view a player. <laughs> Even though you went there yesterday with the whole debate on Johnny Unitas. Don't think I haven't forgotten about that. But anyway, I'll be kind in that regard. I guess what I'm bringing to the forefront here is, yes, he came from a much more prominent program in Stanford. You're right, he's played in big games. I just don't think he's gotten enough notoriety since he's become an NFL player. And that's fair. That's my point. Sure. And I think this is now an opportunity to be synonymous with the Pro Bowl game, the festivities that come with that. It's your first time, even though you've been in the league for many years. So I think that's at least important to uh, take into consideration. All right, let's open up the phone lines, 201-939-4513, hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. And, boy, what a pleasure to be opening up the phone lines for this individual. Charlie is in Portland, Maine. Charlie, how are we doing today? Hi, Charlie. Hey, guys. How you all doing? We're doing all right. Yeah. Hey, that happens to me when I go down to Florida, too. I have to sign autographs. Oh, I, I can only imagine, yes. You have to bring your own security with you, too, from Maine, because only professionals from Maine can actually handle the, the traffic and the volume in Florida. And a full briefcase of color photos. Yes, of Will well, Beatty. Of Will Beatty, we should mention, so I, yes. I, I give out free uh, chicken for them. <laughs> yes, yes, Charlie. That's a colorful picture. <laughs> hey, actually, <clears throat> what I was going to talk about is just the, how lucky the Pats are, as usual. Um, but I think the uh, the Rams are going to beat them, and I'll tell you why. For one, L.A.'s offense is just as good as Kansas City's, but their defense is twice as better than Kansas City's. And the Kansas City Chiefs only had 41 sna or 47 snaps to 94. Yeah. for the Patriots, but they scored 31 points in those 47 snaps. The Patriots' defense is god-awful. They're terrible. And when you have Sue and you have Donald and you have Kaleeb and you have Peters, that is such an upgrade over what Kansas City had. All they have to do is keep Brady under 30 points, which I think they could do, and uh, L.A. is going to score 40, 40 plus. So this is not even this game is not even going to be close. Wow! This is going to well, be well. First a, of all, you know, I think I, you are completely crowning the Rams' defense based on one performance. If you watch the Rams over the course of the season, they were in Kansas City territory, and yes, there was a distinct difference when Aqib Talib was on the field and when he was not. I'll give you that. But they were not getting the same type of consistent pass rush out of their front seven, even though those guys are all big names. The Rams' defense still has its issues. And if you watch that Saints game, Charlie, I mean, they mm -hmm. were picking apart that defensive line and those linebackers oh, yeah, when Alvin Kamara got out in the open field as a receiver. There was nobody that could match up with Charlie, him. Charlie, just only scored. How many points did uh, New Orleans score? 20? And, and, and look, there are a lot of things that we could delve into here, but just to go real simple... The Rams this year averaged 32 points a game, actually 32.94, mm -hmm. 
which was second best in the league, and gave up an average of 24 a game, yeah. which was 20th in the league. That's what they're going to give up this time. My, my prediction is going to be 41 to 24. That's L.A. Wow. I'm telling you, the Patriots are not that good. Well, by the way. I mean, there were so many penalties, you know, offsides, roughing the passer, which wasn't roughing the passer. I mean, my God, it was like Charlie, in, you, right. score, you score right. 31 points and 47 snaps. That tells you how bad their defense is. Well, look, I, and, and I'm not suggesting that this is a rollover for either team. You obviously feel that way for the Rams. Oh, I do. Understand this, Okay. No matter how many points it wound up being, a lot of times the game is played according to the score. And, of course, it was the last eight minutes of the game and, and overtime that became an offensive slugfest. Let's not kid ourselves. Until that point in the game, it was much more of a normal offensive-defensive game. Then it became a pinball machine. So let's, let's please understand that. Now, Belichick, I know he's not in detail on every single defensive play because he, he does kind of step away a little bit during the game. But during the course of the week, I have to feel he's going to come up with a bunch of different things. Like Mahomes, a young quarterback, much like Goff, a young quarterback, they've not seen it all yet. And I have to be honest, until the last few minutes of that game where Mahomes started winging it all around the field, for about three and a half quarters, he looked like a very average well, quarterback. shut him out in the first half. That's my point. Well, and here's That's the, my point. And they and they will do the same thing to Goff. No, they won't. You know why they won't? Because LA has a running game. They've got Gurley and they got Anderson. And the and KC did not have that. If they had Lamar mm. Hunt, No, that, that's not true. Game. That is not true, Charlie. Damian will when Kareem Hunt game. when Kareem Hunt left the team. Damian Williams is filled in admirably. I completely disagree and, with you. And there. Williams played well look the at, other day. Look at what Kansas. Let's not kid ourselves. Look at what Kansas City ran against Indianapolis. And I know you're going to tell me, well, the Indianapolis defense is all of a sudden a juggernaut, which is not necessarily the case. Okay. And, and, here, and here's the other point where I disagree with you. First of all, all right. New England shut out Kansas City in the first half. That's number one. You're right. They did fall apart a little bit in the second half. Number two. No, number two. No, no, no. Hold on. Hold on. One of the touchdowns was on a short field off the interception off of Julian right. Edelman's fingertips. True. Okay? They had to go 23 yards on that drive, Charlie. So 31 minus 7 is what? Basic math, 24 points. You give up 24 points in the NFL, I don't think that's terrible. Number two... Did you hey, look, they could have stopped him through a field goal. And uh, they, didn't, they couldn't do that. Okay. How could they? What, what about... Excuse me. What did Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey do in the conference <clears throat> championship? They took him away. What, what, what did both of them do, you Charlie? Know, Charlie, huh? you should remember. It doesn't matter. No, 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 no Charlie, Charlie. What do you mean it doesn't Charlie, matter? Charlie, Charlie, what? Charlie, Charlie, before you go, Charlie, before, before, Charlie, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Before you go, remember yeah. what Belichick told his team, uh, his defense before Super Bowl twenty-five. Let Thurman Thomas have his 100 yards because in the big picture, that will allow us to win. Don't you think what he did last week against the Chiefs was say, guess what? We're going to take that guy and that guy out of the game. Let the other guys do whatever they want. We will do enough to win. Belichick was a master last weekend. An absolute so, so, master. So he outcoached Andy Reid. He outcoached so Andy Reid like everybody else <laughs> does in the postseason because Andy Reid always folds in the postseason. Well, I, and look, I'm just saying the Rams are a better team than Kansas City is. And with right, but, but define, and but with hold on, hold on a minute. Charlie, Charlie, not as good Charlie. as Why, well, well, Charlie, let's, well, we're going to go. Charlie, no, we, no, we don't want to argue with you. We'll talk to you another time. Well, I mean, I, right. I, want, I wanted more out of Charlie, but we'll let no, him go. No, there's no point in doing no, this. No, no, listen, Come on. I, I it's a no giant problem. show. What are we arguing about the Patriots for? Well, listen, it's a football-related show, and at this time of the year, I don't think there's any crime in talking about what's going on in the playoff picture, but first of all, when you say things like the Chiefs are a better team than the Patriots, the reason I can't stand generic statements He's like that— He's anti-Patriot. Well, That's I his know problem. he is. No, 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 but, but I'm not—if we just delve into this a little bit longer, okay? Appease to me. Just okay, chat, go ahead. Okay? Go ahead. What, you can look at a roster on paper, is my point. And you can say they've got all the names. And, and that's what Charlie's doing. He's looking at the Rams roster, Paul. And, yeah, they got a lot more names than the Patriots do. Yes. Nobody's going to disagree with that. But that doesn't mean that the execution level is the same as the other team, which may have not as many big names. And, first of all, I don't agree that Kansas City is a much better team than New England. First of all, New England had a much better defense than Kansas City from start to finish of the regular season. Kansas mm -hmm. City's defense was 31st in the NFL. 
New England was seventh. And I don't care if they play the Jets twice, the Bills twice, and the Dolphins twice. I'm tired of hearing about that, that they played them six times. The New England Patriots also held the Pittsburgh Steelers to 17 points Mm -hmm. in the month of December. Okay? How about that? Nobody wants to bring that up because they're enamored with the AFC East. So let's be fair here when you look at the evidence and you look at what transpired. And them shutting out the Kansas City Chiefs in the first half, Kansas City made adjustments just like New England had to make adjustments. But one of those touchdowns was on a short field. So to me, they really gave up 24 points where Kansas City had to march down the length of the field or settle for a field goal. That was a gimme set up by great field positioning. Six times this year, the Patriots held teams to less than two touchdowns in a game. Yeah, I mean, that's why they were the seventh scoring defense in the NFL. And by the way, you play 16 games, right, Paul? So six of them are within the division. That means 10 opponents had nothing to do with the AFC East. So how can the numbers be skewed that much? if the overwhelming majority of your games are not against AFC East opponents? Well, only to be fair, the seven against the Dolphins, six against the Bills, all right? Those are both. Thirteen against the Jets. And I get that. Ten against the Vikings, all right? They beat the Vikes 24 to 10. Twelve against the Bills, three against the Jets. So five out of the six times when they held teams to less than two touchdowns, they were in their own division. So that actually does hold a little bit of water there, but there's nothing wrong with with holding the Vikings to 10 or holding Pittsburgh to 17 or holding even Green Bay 31-17. They beat the pack. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, Again, and and their average numbers, just to make sure you understand that, Charlie, too, 27.3 points for fourth best in the NFL, 20.3 points against seventh best in the NFL. He's selling the Patriots short. There's no question about that. And he's and he's definitely selling Belichick short because when it comes to game planning and scheming during the week to get ready for Sunday's game, come on, there's nobody you want to have other well, than him. Their game plan fluctuates week to week unlike any other team. How about and- the other day when they, they uh, unveiled the, the zero blitz? At a critical time in the game, they hadn't shown it all game, and they saved it for one key moment, and they stopped Mahomes on the play. Belichick knows what he's doing. Well, I was on Sirius XM NFL Radio this morning with David Deal and Mike DeVito, former Jet, former Chief, was on the show, and he prepared for the Patriots all the time that he was with the Jets, and he said, I mean, there would be weeks that we would go into a game, we think we were all studied up, and then the Patriots would throw us things that we've never seen before. I mean, those were his, mm-hmm. I'm paraphrasing his words, but I mean, that's what I'm saying. He'll, if you think that he's going to go in to the Super Bowl with the Kansas City game plan, then I don't think you've watched the Patriots long enough. No. He's going to throw new wrinkles that the Rams have never seen. Of course he is. Look, Charlie had one thing right. Oh, that's he a had, lot. No, he did. He, he had one thing right. Yeah. If the Rams can run the ball with those two running backs, okay, it certainly enhances their chances well, greatly. Of course. But, but. Other than that, everything else he said was just totally anti-patriot and skewed. He wasn't giving them any credit whatsoever, and that's just not fair. Look, I haven't decided who I think is going to win this game, but I can tell you I'm certainly leaning toward the Patriots. I mean, and that's no shock. I don't know what Vegas is saying these days, but I got a hunch that they're probably favored. I mean, I never let Vegas dictate what I feel about it. Nor do I. I Nor do I. But I guess what I'm saying is I, I suspect the majority of people believe that the Patriots are going to win. I would expect most people to assume that, given the fact that, as I mentioned, New England was the most balanced team with the exception of the Saints remaining in the top four. The Saints and the Patriots were the much more balanced teams than the Rams and the Chiefs if you go based on statistics and what transpired in the regular season. So the Patriots are still a much more balanced team than the Rams. Patriots are favored according to CBSSports.com. Nothing wrong with that site, right? That's a legitimate site. 2.5 points. Right, Patriots by 2.5. Over-under is 57.5. And, and that's as far as we're going to talk about in terms of those numbers things because that's not something we deal with here. But obviously, the experts believe that the Patriots are favored by approximately a field goal. So I don't think we're crazy to sit here and tell Charlie that if he thinks the Patriots are getting blown out, he is in the minority. Before we head back to the phone lines at 201-939-4513, here's an interesting nugget related to the Giants as we tie that into what's going on in the NFL. According to ESPN's Adam Schefter, former Giants defensive coordinator and interim head coach Steve Spagnuolo has emerged as the favorite to replace Bob Sutton, who was just let go as the Chiefs defensive coordinator. Love to see it. 
Spags belongs in this league. Well, and Spags has ties to Philadelphia going back to the Andy Reid days. So that's not necessarily a surprise. And from what Spags has said just in a public forum was that he was looking forward to taking the year off because he did mm -hmm. a lot of work with NFL films. Mm -hmm. And after a year off, certainly wanted to delve back into the thick of things. So uh, that would be, to me, a really nice ad for the Kansas City Chiefs. And they also play with a four-man front, which is what yep. Spags prefers. And Spags also has Chris Jones to work with, Justin Houston, D. Ford, which is familiar personnel. Now, LaFord resigns. In previous. Yes. No, that's true. That, that's a, a very valid point. But he's they, got the workhorses, I guess, is my point. They do have uh, press corners out there. And that's an area that they got to work on, by the way. They do. Because the secondary certainly came back they to do. bite them. They do. In addition to not touching Tom Brady. No sacks, one quarterback hit. But... Just wanted to throw that out there. This is according to ESPN's Adam Schefter. All right, let's head back to the lines. Jose is in Orlando. Jose, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you have for us? Hey, Lance and Paul. How you guys doing? Hi. Doing well, Jose. What's on your mind? Oh, man. <clears throat> man, I haven't talked to you guys in a long time, so happy belated New Year. You too. Same um, to you. <laughs> I'm just uh, listening in on that whole conversation with Charlie, and I was just laughing. Well, we all need to take wow. our medication after that one. I'll well, tell you that. Look, if or we need some hard liquor. That's even better. Yeah. If Charlie really wants to get rich, uh, you know, he can certainly put his money where his mouth is. I'll tell you that. He can. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I just, you know, you know, as a Giants fan for many, many years, he should know better, too. I mean, Bill Belichick's been taking away weapons in playoffs for years, even dating back to when we played the powerhouse the, the uh, sh run and shoot bills back in the Super Bowl, how he mm -hmm. just shut down that offense. Jose, you know? knowing better, should... knowing better, and Charlie in the same sentence is an oxymoron. Okay, so you know, you, you got to take that into consideration. But anyway, I, okay. I didn't mean to uh, interject in your dissertation. No. Yes. No, 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 no. It's all, it's all good, Lance. So you know, listening to what you guys were saying earlier about you know the Pro Bowl and, and you know our. Our punter get our, our kicker getting mobbed by fans and stuff like that. You also have to understand, guys. I mean, being from Florida and a native New Yorker now, you know, living down here in Orlando, New York, uh, Orlando especially, is like New York South. So there's tons and tons <laughs> of Giants fans down there. I mean, everybody from New York is going to come move down here eventually, either here or Arizona. <laughs> Jose, you know what but, I do uh, notice? Whenever I've been uh, on road trips with the Giants and they've gone to Miami or Jacksonville or Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay especially, that becomes absolutely. a Giants home game in Tampa. It really does. Oh, absolutely. This year, I'll be there. I'll be there this there year you go. in Tampa. It's going to be awesome. It was like a home game. You're right about that, Paul. But um, I wanted to uh, paint a scenario with you guys and, and just, uh, just to humor me because – I know as a Giants fan for many, many years, I've, I've rarely seen the Giants trade up. Only in the second round when we got Landon Collins and we traded into, into the second round to get him. Um, as far as the first round, I don't see the Giants are usually a stay where they are, best player available type guys when they pick. And I'm just curious what they're going to do. And it's all going to dictate, first and foremost, obviously on what Eli's going to happen are going to do. I, I firmly believe that Eli's going to come back for another year, at least. Right. Um, hopefully, maybe at a, he'll give us a hometown discount or something where we can use that money for other things. But my next my question, my scenario is, if the Giants don't go along free agency and pick up, like, a Teddy Bridgewater, who, if they do go that route, that's who I'm leaning towards. I'm not big on Foles, although he's great in the playoffs. I just feel he's a product of the system. But that's another conversation. But as far as the draft, I know that Tommy Coughlin, I love Tommy Coughlin. You know he's sitting below us at Jaguars. And he will trade up to jump in front of us. I know that for a fact. Now, my question is, the Giants eventually are going to have to either trade up either this year if they're serious about their quarterback or just want to stay where they're at, get an offensive lineman or defensive lineman. I won't be mad at that either. But next year, if they don't get a, a young quarterback, they're going to have to trade up eventually because I think that their record is going to be better next year than this year. Mm -hmm. What do you guys think about that scenario? Well, And I'll take this off the line. I, All right, Jose, appreciate the phone call. I, I think when, once we get closer to the combine and into the draft, we will talk to the guys who do this for a living. But, but I've heard early returns. There could be as many as four or five first-round quarterbacks in next year's draft. So even if the Giants are down in the 20 vicinity, with the number of young quarterbacks who have come into this league over the last couple of years, you may still be able to get one of those guys at number 20. 
to be perfectly honest with you. Or you may not have to go up that far to get one. And as far as this year is concerned, the Giants are number six. Honestly, there are no quarterbacks in this draft worth the sixth pick and certainly not worth anything higher than that. If Tom Coughlin wants to trade up at number seven to go ahead of the Giants to go get a quarterback, he's welcome to do so because there's really no reason to do it. Well, first of all, I don't think Tom Coughlin's motivation is going to be to move up just for the sake of moving past the Giants. No, That's no, but one. his scenario was no, no, you I, need to I, I worry know, about Coughlin jumping you. I don't correct, think you do. But I thought maybe part of what he was alluding to, and forgive me, Jose, if I'm putting words in your mouth, was also maybe him trying to get back at an organization. Well, I don't think it has anything to do like with that. revenge. So, I think know. if he desperately wants to get a QB and he thinks that Haskins or, or one of these other guys is really worth it, he may try to go up. I don't think it has anything to do with the Giants. No, well, if you look at it through that lens, I agree with you. But I think he'd be foolish to do it. But all I'm saying is he has to be willing to move up if they obviously think highly of a guy like Dwayne Haskins because outside of Haskins, I don't think you need to move up to grab any of the other quarterbacks. No. So and you he probably can don't have to do it for at. Haskins. You may not, depending on what happens with his stock, depending on what happens with Kyler Murray and perhaps his emergence. I don't know. You know, we've got to really see what happens with the combine, the interviews, the workouts. Remember, stocks rise and fall between now and the draft. So a guy can be real hot right now coming out of college, Paul, and then all of a sudden the narrative and the conversation changes. A lot will change. I mean, for example, listen, I was very high on Baker Mayfield. I think a lot of people were high on Baker Mayfield. I don't think everybody anticipated the Browns were going to take him with the number one overall pick, though. That was a shock so when it actually happened. That's an example of something may come to fruition that we never anticipated. But let, let's look at his last question before we head back to the phone lines. And I think it's a fair question if the Giants do not draft a quarterback this year. Right. And perhaps they leave it for next year to perhaps draft a quarterback. And when I say draft a quarterback, meaning use a first-round pick for a quarterback because right. they've drafted quarterbacks before. Yes. Let, let's at least be fair. Yes. So let's say they wait till next year, and if you do have to move up because maybe you anticipate the team finishing better, the Rams, let's not forget, the Rams were 15th. They moved up to one to draft Jared Goff. Mm-hmm. So it can be done, I guess is my point. My point is you can wind up being a team pick or maybe even – lower teens, high 20s, and still have enough assets to move up. Nobody's saying you got to get the number one overall pick, but if you want to get a top five pick, it can be done. It's not as if that's impossible. I think a lot of well, people think once you pick low, there's no way you can move up. If you have the right assets, you can put a combination of those factors together just like the Rams did. We don't know, A, how many picks the Giants will have in 2020, never mind where they're going to be. That's we don't fair. know how many they're going to have, and that could be determined by a number of things. Do they make trades with either their current roster or some of their current picks to acquire some more collateral in 2020? That's certainly a possibility. Then you've got the other thing, too, where with free agency, I don't think the Giants are going to be huge players in free agency this year. I think they're going to be players, but not huge. You never know what the compensatory picks are going to bring. Like this year, we're assuming, based on estimates, they're going to get a four and a five. As bonus picks. I just don't think, though, that's enough to get into the first round, is what I'm no, saying. No, no, no. But, but here's the point. I'm not saying that itself does it, but that in combination with whatever it else it is you have, it can be used in a package deal. It can always be used in a package deal. You can always package picks together to, to, to move up some degree. So we don't know any of this right now. And quite honestly, Landon Collins is a high-priority free agent to me. And I think all of us believe that he'll likely be back here. The Giants certainly can tag him. Why, why, why wouldn't that happen? But let's just say for whatever reason, that doesn't happen. And somebody outside absolutely goes bonkers and decides they have to have Landon Collins. And they give him a Brinks truck. And the Giants decide, you know what, that is just way too much. We're going we're gonna to part with him. Well, trust me, that's going to really weigh into, com into the compensatory formula. And the Giants will wind up getting themselves a sweetheart pick in, in a Landon Collins situation. I'm not saying they should do that, by the way, folks. Please don't get me wrong. But if that does happen, there'll, there'll be some reparations for that. 
I'm just looking up the Jared Goff trade j- just to use that as a barometer of what you'd have to give up. Okay. Let's say if you had the 15th overall pick or the 20th overall pick and you're trying to get to number one and so forth. So Tennessee received the following. They got the Rams' first-round pick. This is 2016. So they swapped first-rounders. Right. They then got two second-round picks okay. in 2016, a third-round pick also in 2016, a first-round pick in 2017, and another third-round pick in 2017. So you could give up, just hypothetically, you could swap your first-rounders next year mm-hmm. and then potentially still have to give up the first-rounder from 2000. Now, that was to get all the way up to one. Correct. That was to get up to one. Again, yeah. Based on the quarterback class that we are told is coming out, you won't have to go all the way up to number one to get one of these blue yeah. chippers. Well, I mean, listen, we'll see. Right now, I, you, you just don't know how the stocks are going to play out. That's all I'm saying. You, I mean, there may be mm. a hot commodity that rises up. We got another college football season to get through too. Let's that we do. About that so that we do. I mean, I think we're getting ahead of ourselves to discredit the value of the future quarterback class. All I'm saying is, is that you can move up, but you're going to have to give up assets. And well, in sure. the Rams' case, they had to give up two first-rounders and a lot more. And, of course, you never know. You could always substitute a pick or two of for these out for a player if there's somebody that another team wants. feasible as well. I don't think that's a stretch. So I wouldn't worry too much about it. Don't lose any sleep on this one. Trust me. Well, there's a variety of ways to acquire a quarterback. It can be done. I think that's the, the whole purpose of the dialogue and the conversation. Let's head back to the phone lines. Antonio is in Manhattan. Antonio, what's happening? Hey, what's going on, guys? I know you, you guys are ending the show almost, so I just have a question for Paul because he mentioned that next year, you know, we might get a draft pick, uh, a quarterback in the 20s. At that point, Paul, do you really want to get a quarterback around the 20s? Like, has there been a quarterback that's panned out that's been in the 20s in the NFL recently? I, I'm asking a question. I, I have not gone through the numbers to indicate that, but here's what I'm trying to tell you. I think that you have a lot of young quarterbacks who have come into this league over the last few years. There's been a lot of turnover. And so I don't necessarily think that the demand for a first-round quarterback will be as great as it's been in the last couple of years. And when you combine the lower demand with what is supposed to be a good quarterback class, look, what if I, what if I said to you, you're going to pick at number 20, And, again, there are four or five first-round quarterbacks available. Chances are one or two of them is going to get to you. That's all I'm saying. I'm just trying to play the odds here based on law of supply and demand, and that's a rough sketch based on preliminary things that we've been told. Now, another thing with that is, you know, if we're riding with Eli next year and we're trying to, you know, build the team around Eli to make the playoffs, we're not going to be picking 20. So, you know, that's another problem that we face right now. Like, the, I, we have to strike right now while we're as high as we can and just try to get the best QB as available in this draft. Well, but that, that also could be viewed as stretching, though. I mean, if the quarterbacks are not good overall, then you don't just try to pick a quarterback simply because you're picking high. No, I mean, of course. Yeah. I, I don't think that philosophy makes any sense, especially if these quarterbacks are not in the same conversation as last year's class. You know, then that to me is also being interpreted. Quarterback that stands out and puts himself as number one in each year. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that that quarterback is going to be great, though. Past years and stuff like that. But I mean, you know, we're desperate at this point. We have Eli Manning in potential. I think it's it's his last year. So we're desperate right now. And to say otherwise, I don't think it, it, it would be right to say that we're not desperate. And I'll hear your response off the line, guys. Have a good one. I okay. appreciate the phone call. I mean, I would not necessarily say the Giants are desperate. I think any time you label yourself as desperate, you wind up making the wrong decision. And the, re- the reason why I disagree you take a quarterback when you pick high, Jamarcus Russell was a high quarterback. So let's say it's Jamarcus Russell of this year's quarterback class. So you should just take him just because you pick high? No, you should maximize the value of the pick, period, based on that draft class. I never think that you should say to yourself, we've got to get a quarterback because Eli Manning may only have a year or two left. Yeah, do they have to think about a successor? They absolutely have to think about a successor, but I don't know if they're necessarily in dire need where they would then have to take a quarterback this year and all other options to acquire a quarterback are off the table moving well, forward. Well, for example, and again, that's this is why I, I, I kind of resist the point that he tried to make about, well, can you get one in the 20s? Because then you go back and you look at the stats and then... What does it really mean? But, for example, uh, 
Dak Prescott was number 135 in the fourth round. Fourth round and he's, yeah. a, he's a competent starter. I may Kirk not be Cousins a huge fan, but okay. Teddy Bridgewater was number 32. Derek Carr was number 36. Garoppolo was 62. I mean, you know, can you get one in the 20s? Yeah, you can. But, I mean, uh, there's always going to be outliers. And, of course, we've, we've all talked about the fact that Montana was so low and Brady was so low. And, I mean... Well, the percentages now, are low, Kirk though. Kirk Cousins was 102, as you so said. Kirk He's a fourth round. He was a 102. Russell Wilson. What, did you mention Russell Wilson? Russell Wilson. Andy, Andy Dalton was a second-round pick at 35. Now, I mean, the point is, we, I understand, because the, the counter to what you and I are saying is, well, those are still a low percentage of quarterbacks that pan out. I'm not disagreeing with that. But you can obtain a quarterback. Nobody says that you have to take a quarterback with a top-five pick in order to walk away with a franchise quarterback. I mean, I'm going to throw out a name, and I understand Teddy Bridgewater suffered the injury. Bridgewater was the 32nd overall pick. If he stays healthy, we don't know exactly the trajectory of his career. Lamar Jackson was just taken, Paul, by the Baltimore Ravens. Mm -hmm. Way too early to tell how he's going to pan out, but he was a late first-round pick. Oh, by the way, Aaron Rodgers was 24. Yeah, there's another example. I mean, mean, to say that you... Right, that's the point. To say that you you. can't and that it's impossible is wrong. You know, everything depends on the individual circumstances in that given season. You, you honestly can't just make a broad brush statement and say, well, we're not going to get one. It can't be done. That's just foolish. You can't do that. The law of supply and demand really comes into play here more than anything else. It's how many teams badly need one and are willing to make that their first-round choice compared to how many first-round value quarterbacks are on the board. If there are three teams that think they've got to spend a first-rounder on a QB, and there are five first-round value quarterbacks on the board, guess what? You'll get one in the 20s. It's just that simple. Based on that math, yeah. It's just it's simple math. I mean, I still stand by the worst thing that you could do is reach where you say we think we need a quarterback because Eli Manning's getting towards the last year of his contract. We pick in the top 10. We're not going to pick in the top 10 next year, even though you can't predict the future, nor can you predict whether or not you'll have the ability to trade up. And then you get into dangerous territory. George Young used to say it, and it's funny because Dave Gettleman said it as well, and I've said so many times that Dave Gettleman reminds me of George Young, and that is you never go into the draft saying, I must have X. You do that, you will push, you will over-evaluate, you will make a mistake because you will absolutely force a guy higher than he needs to be. Let's head back to the phone lines before we wrap up shop. Coach Marvin is in Delaware. Coach Marvin, what's happening? How you guys doing? Hey, Marvin. Doing all right. What's on your mind? Uh, uh, tough, tough conversation about how to draft. It's uh, very it, – it takes a lot of luck. Uh, I hear what Paul was saying about you can get a guy at 20. And I can understand where the fans are going. It's, it's, it's a no-win conversation. It really is, Marvin. You're absolutely right. It is a no-win. It's like being a weatherman. You can't guarantee it's going to rain tomorrow. You can predict it. It may be logical, but you can't guarantee it. That's right. And it's based on style um, of the team, how that team is built around the guy. Russell Wilson, he ended up running into a team that was very well built defensively. They yeah. were a running team, and he went and he took a job, and it fit him, and that's why mm-hmm. that worked. Um, Brady, the same thing. He sat behind, um, he sat behind Bledsoe. He learned from them. They kept it simple when he got into the game. I lived there 27 years. I saw the Patriots come from the ground into what they are now. Hey, and Coach Marvin, you know what else? And I don't mean to interrupt you, but I do want to make one point here that's relevant to what you just said, and that is. If you've got the running back, and Barkley's the guy, and you got the receiver, and Beckham's the guy, and if you continue to build the offensive line, and now this year you continue to build the defense, guess what? You don't need to get the all-universe quarterback in the top right. five picks of the draft to win, right? Right, right. And, 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 to, and to go back on what you just said, I got a picture for you. Dak Prescott. You put him in any other system, sure. he's the ordinary guy. He doesn't do what he's doing. He possibly can, but I don't think he's doing what he's doing without the offensive line and without um, Elliot. Oh, it certainly helps him. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, that helps him royally. You 
take Elliott out of that, uh, off that team, and he keeps the offensive line, he does not play as well as he does when they play action and when they run the ball. Well, but Coach Marvin, it, it, I, I guess my point is, though, I can really make that case about most quarterbacks. You don't give them an offensive line and a strong running game, most guys are going to struggle. There's very few that can true. overcome that. That's true. There are some that can create on their own. Yeah. And there are, some, there are some that you can just have a basic running game and they can hold weight. Um, Moreno really didn't have a lot when he, when he was playing. And, the, and he, he, you can have a team that can run off the pass. That's not impossible. It can be done. You're right. But that line, that line held up Marino pretty good now, Marvin. You know that. You, you look at it this way. You're right. You can be pedestrian in the run game if your O-line is really good in pass pro, and that's about the only exception to the rule. Right, right. And, 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 and so it's a, it's a give or take. They pick and six. If they're in love with the quarterback, that they, if Haskins is the guy, then you've got to go get him because you don't know if Jacksonville's going to move up. Um, if they think there's another guy other than him, they can sit where they are. If they think it's Kyle Murray, then it's Kyle Murray. Because Kyle Murray, you can go on his side, but you put him with somebody like Beck, uh, with Barkley and Beckham and those guys, maybe you can create something. But it, it, we don't know until we see this combine and see what um, gentlemen of them are saying, and then we can make the judgment. But waiting until 2020. Uh, I'm not even thinking about 2020. I think we need to drop that conversation. Uh, I mean, <laughs> unless somebody's got a crystal ball. <laughs> to be honest, Marvin, I'm with you 100%. I'd rather not deal with it either. But every once in a while, we get a call that wants to do that. So what yeah, are you going to do? Yeah, I'm just praying I can live to 2020. I got I free mean, agency and a draft that's, to get That's a fair first. game plan, Coach. Yeah, understandable. <laughs> yeah. Listen, we'll, we'll let you go on that note. Appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for... Weighing in. Yeah, we got to get through free agency before we even get to free the Free agency and a and draft, this year's draft I'm and a about. season, and then we'll deal with 2020. Fair enough. All right. That is going to wrap up the program. We appreciate everybody for tuning in. We'll be back up and running again on Thursday at 12 p.m. Eastern, getting you set for the Senior Bowl, the Pro Bowl, and everything in between, including the upcoming Giants offseason. A reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes. Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday right here on Giants.com. Have a good one.